God, you are so good. It was so great just to celebrate you this morning. Yeah, we, we just go ahead and we align our declarations that, yeah, there ain't nobody better than you, God. There's no one greater. There's no one that loves me better than you do, Lord. And so we just thank you for it, Lord. And now as we shift our attention to your word, I thank you, Lord, that, that just as you said in your word, it is alive. It's quick. It's powerful. It divides between what are our thoughts and what are your thoughts. And God, we want your thoughts on things because we know your word is truth. And we want to shape our lives and direct our attentions to the things that are important to you, God. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. And good morning to all you that are joining us online this morning. So glad you've tuned in with us. Go ahead and grab your Bible and your notebook. Take some notes along with us. We're going to keep on trucking today on our series on the laws of God. And so we've gone through, we're still stuck on number four. Law number four of the five that I wanted to go over in this series. And now we're on week four of law number four, which is the law of faith. Here, let me do that so you can actually read it. The law of faith. And this is a very important one. When we're talking about the laws of God, as we've established in this series over and over again, it's not the do good, get goods, or the do bad, get bad laws. We're talking about the laws that govern the kingdom of God. When God says, this is how it is. You know, if God says it's one way, you can scream until you're blue in the face saying it's another way. He's still true. Come on. And as soon as we just get ourselves to the fact of accepting that and being like, yes, God, you're true and I'm wrong, I'll go ahead and shift my thoughts to what you said, the better. The easier it becomes for us in this life when you're not working in opposition and using your faith against God. No, you use your faith in God. Come on. So many of us align our faith against what he was saying. Like, oh, my day's just going to be so bad. No, I have good days. Because God said he, he knows the plans that he has for me. They're good plans. When you get up in the morning, you should be expecting good things. Well, yesterday wasn't very good, Pastor Jordan. Yesterday's in the past. You live in the present today. Now, now, now is where you live. You can fret about yesterday all you want. It's not going to change it. You can worry about tomorrow, and all you're going to do is sour it before you get there. You live in the present. It's the only time you ever get. Come on. That's so important. Today is the only today you get. You never get to live March 26th again, so you might as well expect good things for it. You might as well enjoy it while you're going through it in spite of what happens. And I love what Keith Moore says, and Garnet always reminds me of it too, is that expect the best and deal with the rest. You might as well approach your day with an expectation of good things than an expectation of bad. Amen? So we're on the law of faith, part number four of the law of faith, and I'm hoping to bring this section in for a landing today, so we got a lot to cover. But here we're talking about the law of faith and what is faith. We haven't even given you the simple definition. We've been talking about the actions of faith or the response of faith is what we talked about last week. But faith in its simple definition is the Greek word pistis, which is a conviction of truth or a belief. That's what the, the, defi the definition for the word pistis is. The second definition I put in here is our English definition for the word faith, which is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Everyone say confidence. confidence. You can get confident about some things, right? When you, 
excuse me, <coughs> when you've had some experiences in your life and you've been through some things, there's confidence that rise up, rises up and says, well, I've been here before and I'll go through again. Yeah. 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 The devil tried this before and he failed. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to go through again. Yes. Come on. Yes. You can get confident about things that you got experience in. Get confident about things that you get have knowledge in. Now, if you asked me to go and drop the engine out of my truck right now, I would not be very confident because I am not mechanical in that way. I cannot do it. There would be zero confidence. But if you want to get up here and talk about the word, I've got some confidence because I've got some knowledge and I've got some experience and I can be confident in what I know. And what you know, you can be confident in. And the reason why so many Christians are unconfident about the Word of God is because they don't actually know the Word of God. They know what someone else has told them about it. And come on, I'm going to reiterate this. I haven't said it in a while, and I should get back to saying it again. It's not the Word that I know and believe that will help you. It's the Word that you know and believe that will lead you into victory. You can't trust in what you don't know. Come on. You can't trust in a God that you don't know. You can't trust in a God that you've not actually read what he said he's like. Come on. If, if maybe you weren't here for that series when we did it at the end of last year on the nature and the character of God, go back onto the website, wordchurch.ca, and watch that again. Understand God said, this is how I am. This is what I do. This is what you can expect from me. And because he said it, we can be sure and we can be confident in it. Amen? Amen? So faith is a conviction of truth. It's a belief. It's an unwavering belief is what the Merriam-Webster dictionary used to say. It's something that settles on the inside of you like, no, I trust him so much that I'm not going to get pushed to the left or the right. right. Come on. All of you this morning already exercised unwavering faith. How many of you got to your chair and went like, oh, I don't know. Is, is it really going to hold me? I'm just not really sure. Okay. Okay, God. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Oh, oh, it held. No. Most of you just went. Why? Because you had this confidence that that chair looked stable. It didn't look like it was broken. The welds hadn't been snapped off. It wasn't half leaning like that. You know, a few months ago, we were in, in uh, our men's breakfast, and Toph sits down in the chair, and the chair goes, and just collapse. And, you know, now every time I go to sit in those chairs, they're getting a little older. I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. Why? Because I've had that experience where I saw him fall on his butt, so I'm not going to fall on my butt. Well, we can learn from other people, right? We can learn from other people's experience. You don't have to go through certain things because somebody else has already gone through and you would be like, oh, God brought them through. He'll bring me through too. Come on. Conviction of truth. So let's get back to 1 John chapter 5. You with me this morning? Yes. Woohoo! We got a lot to cover. Now, when I'm talking about faith, I don't think I've ever preached faith through 1 John 5 before, and I'm really enjoying coming at it from this direction. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Oh, come on. You missed an opportunity to shout there. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world doesn't say might overcome sometimes overcomes it says whatever is born of god overcomes the world 
Well, who is born of God? Verse 1 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If you've believed on Jesus, you're born of God. And now you fall into this category of being an overcomer. And it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And we'd be so much more comfortable if it said, Jesus' faith. Come on. But it didn't say Jesus' faith overcomes the world. It says, our faith. Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have trials and tribulations. Be of good cheer, I've already overcome it. And so because he's overcome it, by faith you get to as well. Oh, come on. And, and I, can, I can feel how this, you, when you're preaching, you can feel how things get received. I understand that there's some resistance there. Well, it hasn't been my experience, Pastor Jordan. You need to have some new heroes. You need to listen to some new testimonies. Come on. If you've not experienced in your life, and your friends haven't experienced, but other people have, maybe you should have some new perspective on things. Your faith allows you to overcome. Overcome what, Jordan? It doesn't say it. doesn't put conditions on it. It says the world. Whatever you face in this world, you have the ability to overcome by faith. Come on. Because you're born of God. Same nature and ability. Come on. Last time I checked, God doesn't procreate outside of his species. God didn't have worms. He didn't have cockroaches. No, he had sons and daughters. Come on. And like daddy, like kid. And so whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And just in case you didn't get it, John reiterates it again. Who? Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now we have to understand that there's two different words. He said here that our faith is what overcomes. That's pistis. That's that Greek word. That's that confident belief in him. That's that trust that you have in him. But in verse 5 when it says, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God is the word pistil, which is the action or the verb of faith. You can have the noun of faith, which he's given you faith. We talked about that in part number one of this series. God has given you the the measure of faith. It's not that you can't believe, it's whether you're willing to. And so here, John says, you overcome the world by faith, and who is he? It's the one who takes that faith and puts it into action. And that's what we spent our time last week doing. We were talking about the response of faith and how throughout the Bible, the only way we ever see people respond in faith is with their words and with their actions. Come on, do we need to go back and read Hebrews chapter 11 again? Where every one of those heroes of faith in the hall of fame of faith, every one of them had an action. They believed something, and so they said something. They believed something, so they did something. If your faith has not moved you to action, you don't actually believe what you think you believe. You can say, I believe this until you're blue in the face, but until it moves your mouth or moves your body, it'll never move your mountain. Come on. 
When David got on the field with Goliath, he didn't go up there and thinking in his head, oh, I think I can beat Goliath. I think I can knock him down. He's not thinking that in his head. What did he say? Who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, that you would dare defy the armies of the living God? You've come out against me now, and I'm going to take your head off today, and I'm going to feed your body to the birds. Come on. His faith met his words and his actions, and it doesn't say that he kind of went, Oh, I'm not sure about Goliath. No, it says he ran at the giant. His words and his actions lined up with what he believed about his God and what was possible for him to accomplish that day. Come on, you have to understand that when David was, Goliath came out and everybody's hiding in their holes and David's looking at them going, what are you guys doing? Is nobody going to fight this guy? David had a full confidence and expectation that anyone from that army could have went out there and won, not just himself. He's looking at them first like, come on, I'm just the guy delivering cheese and bread. Why are you guys hiding and why am I standing here? And it made it really easy to find David that day. He was the only one not cowering in fear. And so people are looking out and they're like, who's that kid out there? Somebody tell him to get down. Goliath's going to see him and think we're ready to fight. No. Faith gets you to stand up and it gets you to act. Come on, bless God. So who is he that overcomes the world? But he who puts action to the faith in what he believes about Jesus, who is the Son of God. Okay, in the next few verses in 6, 7, and 8, we've talked about this earlier on in the series, how John says that the Word and the Spirit always agree. He talks about how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're always in agreement. And so between verse 5 here and where we're going to pick it up in verse 9, that's what John said. They always agree. If you've seen it in the Word, the Holy Spirit agrees with it. If the Holy Spirit speaks it to your heart, the Word will agree with it. The Father will be in unity with them because they can't go against each other. Even Jesus, he had the ability in the garden. He said, God, I don't want to do this, but I conform my will to yours. And so they always agree. And so that's what John says in between this verse and where we're going to pick it up. In verse 9, you ready for verse 9? It says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Let's say that again. If we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater. What is the witness? I'm not talking about some Christianese language. You know, sometimes in Christianity we have all these, this in- exclusive language that says, oh, oh, we need to go out and witness. What are they saying? Oh, you need to go share our faith. That's not the witness he's talking about here. The word witness is the one you would expect. It's in a court of law. What happens? The witness gets up on the stand and they're there to tell their version of a story. And they, what do they say? Will you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but? the truth so help you God that's the witness we're talking about if a person gets on the stand and says this is the truth here's my record of it here's my report of the story and God says something different God's witness is greater come on God's witness is greater in the the passion translation says if we accept the testimony of men how much more should we accept the more authoritative testimony of God that he has testified concerning his son. Come on. How much more should we accept 
what God said Jesus did for you in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's all based upon what he did. Your faith is always placed in what Jesus said he did. He took all sin and shame and he killed it for you. All your wrongdoings, he already took to the grave and he washed them in the blood. And it says he rose up from the grave with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Those are the keys of victory. It said he made a show of the enemy openly, openly triumphing over them. Come on, if, you show, if the devil shows up on your doorstep, I need you to know you have more than enough power in you and authority in you to send him packing. I love the story of Smith Wigglesworth. One night in the middle of the night, he wakes up and his bed is bouncing across the room. And he's like, what's going on? He's kind of tired and he's wiping it. And he looks up and there's the devil standing at the end of his bed. And he goes, oh, it's just you. And he rolls over to go. He's like, wait, put my bed back and go get out. And the devil put his bed back and took off. Come on. You don't have to be afraid of the powers of darkness. Come on, I know we may, the, the world makes a lot of movies about how powerful demons and everything are. They're not. They're defeated. Jesus said it was done. Come on. We have to believe what he said that Jesus did, he actually did. Come on. Man, I'm telling you, we're taking way longer to get through this than I was expecting this morning. But there's so many things that the Bible tells us that Jesus did for us. It says, surely he has carried our sicknesses and our pains. He was chastised for us. He was esteemed and smitten for us. And by his stripes, we were healed. If the Bible says you're healed, what are you doing saying how sick you are? How much pain you are? You got to change your words. If you say one thing and God said something else, John said God's witness is greater. Yes. Come on. Yeah, yes. And it says in the, the other second half of verse 9, For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son. This is what God speaks about Jesus. It says, He who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Stop there for a second. If you choose to say anything other than what God has said about you, guess what you're doing? God, you're a liar. And we wouldn't do that if we were looking him in the face, right? Trust me. If you saw him face to face right now, you'd be in a pool on the floor. God, you're so good. <laughs> Come on. I remember uh, Joe Morris, uh, uh, the last time we had spoken to him, at that point, Jesus had shown up to talk with him six times. And he said, every time... He, I'd have this knowing, like, I'm going to meet with Jesus soon. And he'd always think, like, okay, I'm going to ask this question and this question. And he said, every time Jesus showed up, he's like, I couldn't help but just kneel and weep. He's like, it was just, he's just so good. And you think of all these questions you would ask, and you're just going to be in reverence and awe of how good God is. But stop calling God a liar by putting your words and your faith in something other than what he said. And what did he say? And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This is what God says about Jesus. Jesus has given you eternal 
life. Now, our conditioned Christian thinking about that is, yes, I believe in Jesus, so I can go to heaven when I die. We've been conditioned to say, oh yes, but that's at the end of my life. Really? Is it? Do we have to wait? Do we have to wait till the end to experience what Jesus has bought for us? The word eternal means unending, without beginning or without end. When you received eternal life, there's no beginning and end to that life. There's no waiting till later. You are in life. And what life is that? It's the zoe is the word there. The life of God. You've stepped into unending God quality and God kind of life now. And it says, and this life, this zoe, is in his son. And where is Jesus? He said, as many as would believe, as many as would call on me, I'm going to come, I'm going to make my home in them. So if he's in here and he is life, eternal life has already started for you. It's not just heaven later, it's God quality life here and now. It says, he who has the son has life. Not will have the life when you die and go to heaven. You have the life now. The life of God is in you. Come on, don't get quiet on me here. I can see the wheels are spinning. He who has the Son has that God quality life in them now. So, it says in verse 13, These things I've written to you who believe. So the statements that John is about to make are for believers. Do we got any believers in the house this morning? And the word believes there is not pistis, not simple faith or trust. It's those who act and respond to the word of God. It's the word pisteo. These things are written to those who are willing to act and respond to the word of God, to get up and do something with what God has given to you. Are you willing to get up and do something with that eternal life? Are you willing to exercise it and release it in every area of your life? Are you there to speak to those mountains and watch them move? Are you there to lay hands on the sick and see them recover? Are you there to cast out demons and send them packing? These These are the things that follow those who believe. And John says, that's who I'm writing to. And if maybe you're not in, you're in here this morning, you're watching us online, and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, it's simple. It says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And then you can be, be a believer with us. These things I've written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Continue. He's telling you to continue in that belief and continue in that life today. Amen? Amen. Now, here's where it's starting to get good, okay? You ready for this? John said everything he just said at that point to get to this next verse. 
And I, I, I completely relate to him in that moment. Sometimes we'll preach a whole message just to say one point, to prepare the room for one thing to be said. And here's what John was preparing the reader for in the last 13 verses leading up to this. You ready? Because of what he just said, he says, Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. This is that confidence we talked about in the definition. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, that's great. I'm so glad that Jesus hears us when we ask according to his will. That's not the end of it. He said, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions or the requests that we've asked of him. He said, when we understand this eternal life in us, we understand what Jesus has done, we understand the witness of God that says it's true, you can have confidence and ask according to the will of God, and he will do it for you. confidence this is the confidence you can be confident in what the word of God has said about you you can be confident about what the word of God said is available to you today and it says if we ask anything according to his will which means you got to know his will right that's so good to know that it's according to his will. What do we call our Bible? We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament, right? Do you know what a last will and testament is? Come on, you want to know what the will of God is? He wrote it down for you. You don't have to say, I wonder what God thinks. He told you what he thinks. I wonder what God said I can do. He told you what you can do. I wonder what is available to me. He told you what it is. And if you are facing a situation and you haven't asked the question, what did God say about it? You're planning on doing it in your strength. If you haven't asked the question, what does the word say, you care about more what you say and what others say. Come on, we might as well be bold about these things. If you haven't asked or even concerned yourself with looking, you're not planning on believing. I know that's a little rough to say that. But we might as well just be blunt and truthful about things. If you cared, you would ask. And this is, this is I'm not going to just say this about us as a church. This is the culture of Christianity so much today. It bothers me how little questions are actually asked. It really bothers me how little Christians say, Pastor Jordan... What does the word, God say, word of God say concerning this situation that I'm facing? Oh, it got real quiet in here. I'm, it's okay. I don't mind it being quiet. But we have to ask, what did God say? And if you don't know, you can find out. Come on, if your bills are piling up and you don't know how you're going to pay, pay them, 
you don't know how you're going to face them, and you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, have you asked yourself what the Word of God has said about your finances? Come on. If your body's breaking down, and the doctors have no help for you, and you haven't asked, what does the Word of God say concerning healing in my body? Do you realize that most of Jesus' miracles were healing miracles? So why do we think so much that he doesn't care about that today? Let's be honest. Religious people get concerned because they're thinking, how do I do this? I can't heal people. Good, you can't. Jesus does. Even better than that, Jesus did. Peter said it's past tense. Come on, we're being pretty strong this morning, but there's so much more we got to touch, touch on. John said that we can be confident that if we understand his will and know what his will is, he hears us. And if he hears us, the answer was yes, and you have it. And that's why we say faith begins where the will of God is known. Where did John get this? Well, John didn't make this up himself. He learned this from Jesus. So let's go over in Mark chapter 11. You doing okay? I know I'm being a little rough this morning, but sometimes we got to get a little bit of shaking going on. In Mark chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 21, and then we'll backtrack. It says, And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And for sake of time, I'll fill you in the story. Jesus has been going in and out of Jerusalem, Jerusalem during the day, and at night he would go back to Bethany. The reason why he was going back to Bethany is because that's where his good friends, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, lived. And so he would often go and stay with them. They were his best friends, and they were his biggest supporters. And he would walk through uh, the Mount of Olives where there was olive groves and trees. There was fig trees and everything all through there. And he would spend the days in Jerusalem Jerusalem and the nights in Bethany. And so he was going in to Jerusalem one morning, and it says he was hungry. So good to know Jesus is natural just like us. Just as I got hungry, he got hungry. And he looked off and he saw a fig tree, and it had leaves. And so he went towards it thinking he would get figs. Now, I'm not into horticulture, but what I've been told is that a fig tree, if it has leaves, the figs should have already developed. That's just what I've been told. I don't know anything about trees, so you just have to take other people's word for it on it. (laughs) Jesus comes up to it and sees the leaves, thinking it'll have figs, but he says the time of figs had not yet come, and so there was no figs on it. What was really happening is the tree was deceiving Jesus. It said, I've got yummy figs on me because it had leaves, and he got there and it wasn't there. And so Jesus cursed the tree and said, let no man eat of it, and then he walked away. They go in, they do their stuff in in Jerusalem, and they're on their way back out the next day, and Peter sees the tree and sees that it's withered up from the roots. And Peter says, hey guys, do you remember? Jesus cursed this tree, and now it's dead. And Jesus answered, And said to them, have faith 
in God. And the reason why Jesus could now answer his disciples is because he had a response to the tree. And that's what it said in verse 14. Jesus gets to the tree, sees that there's no figs on it, and it says, in response, Jesus said to it. What was Jesus responding to? He was responding to the fact that the tree was not filling his need of hunger. And so many times when there's things going on in our life, we aren't responding. Oh, lost another client. Oh, here comes another bill. Oh, looks like I got the flu again. We're not responding to the situations that are before us. Jesus walks up to a tree, and the tree doesn't have what he wants, so he speaks to it. Come on, your faith is always exercised by what you say and what you do. And so he speaks to the tree. Come on. I'm sure everybody else is thinking, Jesus, you're a little crazy. The tree's not talking. No, it was talking. And sometimes your body talks louder than your neighbor at work. (laughs) Sometimes your finances are talking louder to you than anything else going on in your life. What is your response to it? And so Jesus responded to the tree, and he answers to his disciples, have faith in God, or have the God kind or God quality of faith, is the literal translation there. Jesus said, you guys have that faith. You have that ability. That same thing that you're all surprised about, Peter, you've got it. Put your faith in God. And he said, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever, say whoever, Whoever. says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. It's interesting that Jesus is using the same terminology that John is in 1 John 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God. And whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Same language. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast out, he'll have whatever he says. And so Jesus says, therefore, just in case you didn't think I was being specific enough with you guys, therefore I say to you, everyone say me. Me. Whatever things you ask, When you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. Oh, come on. What does that mean for you? What does that mean to you? That means that whatever situation you face, if you found it in God's word, you can command it to move, and it'll listen. He didn't say, whatever I ask when I pray. He said, whatever you ask. You believe, you receive, and you'll have them. Come on. And so, as we move on a little bit here, what is faith? Well, we can talk about what is faith versus what is it not. It's not twisting God's arm to make him do something or give you something. Faith only ever accesses what you already have because of what God has done for you. And so if you're saying, oh, you're just trying to make God do something for you, I don't have to make God do anything. He's already done everything that needs to be done. I access it by faith. 
And so if we go to Hebrews chapter 11, last week we started in verse 4 and went on because I wanted to do verse 1, 2, and 3 with you this week. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says this, Now faith is. That's exactly the same type of language John said. Now this is the confidence that I have in him. Faith is always in the now. It is always present tense. It's not future tense, that's hope. It's not past tense, that's pulling up the past and digging it up and over. Faith is always in the present. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You can have hope. And I believe hope is a wonderful thing. If you don't start with hope, you'll never step into faith. Romans chapter 5 says that, that it leads us down character and perseverance into hope, and hope leads us to faith. I believe there's a point where we start in faith. Faith is a confident expectation of good things to come. But if you're always looking to the future, what about right here in the moment? There's a point where you stop looking for it, and you go, oh my goodness, Jesus said it's already here. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is substance? Substance is the physicality of something. This is the substance of glass. It doesn't say faith is this airy-fairy thing out there that's never really tangible. Faith says The things that the word of God has said about you are true and here right now. It's the evidence of the things not seen. And where does that evidence come from? The word of God. It tells you what's there even if you haven't seen it yet. Come on. It says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. That's a really wordy statement there that uh, the writer of Hebrews makes about how Jesus made the world. But it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. There was what God created already in the spiritual realm that then he spoke into existence in this natural realm. What God says is true, what Jesus has done for you is just as real and just as physical as what he said right here in this world, right now. We grab hold by faith. My body doesn't feel healed pastor jordan i call it whole come on i don't have to go by what i feel i go by what the word of god has said about me and i grab hold by faith and i go ahead and walk it out as though it was you're just telling me to deny what i feel pastor jordan that's something what somebody has told me more than once you're just telling me to deny it no I'm telling you to accept what he said is true. There's a difference. There can be two realities going on. The worldly reality or the witness of men Mm -hmm. and 
the witness of God, which is greater. Come on. Which is greater. Here's what the Passion Translation says about that verse. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's word. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. Kind of sounds to me a little bit like what Abraham believed about God. He said he believes in God who gives life to the dead, and he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So what are you speaking about your body? For sake of time, we're going to jump, to the, jump ahead a bit here. But uh, why do people have reservations against this message? I've run into a lot of people like, that just can't be true. Well, I just read what the Bible said. That's not my opinion. I told you what John said and what Jesus said. Why do people have reservations about this message or saying, well, it's not true? Because it usually butts heads against a competing belief. I think most of the times in our lives, we have two different belief systems that hit their heads. And which one are you going to exalt? And which one are you going to say, I'm going to have to change the way I think about that. And so oftentimes when we talk about faith, especially with people who grew up in in more religious denominations, we come in the mindset of, well, if God wanted it to be that way, wouldn't it just be that way? Because God gets what he wants. And it only happens because God wants it to happen, right? No. No, that's not true at all, actually. We make stupid comments as Christians sometimes, and we say things like, oh, well, God is in control. If that's the case, he's a monster. Can we just be bold and say that? If God is in control in the way that they're trying to represent them, he's a monster. He's a baby killer. He's a murderer. He likes war. He likes famine. He likes when people die and get screwed over by corporations. Come on. That's what they mean, though, when they say, oh, God's in control. Whatever he wants gets to happen. Does the Bible actually say that? And it stems out of a teaching on the sovereignty of God. And let me just make this statement before we go even further. I 100% believe God is sovereign in the way sovereign is actually defined and not how religious people use it. Do you know what the definition of sovereign is? It means supreme ruler or possessing supreme or ultimate power. And true, God is the supreme ruler and he possesses supreme and ultimate power. But nowhere in the definition of the word sovereign do you ever get the idea that whatever they want automatically happens. And it's been used it's, been, it's gotten more and more popular over the last number of years. And generally, it got, gained popularity with the release of the new international version of the Bible. And you want to know why? Because they took the words Lord God Almighty and Lord God, usually from the Hebrew word uh, for El Shaddai or El Elyon, and they began interpreting that as Sovereign Lord. And so over 288 times, they took out Lord God Almighty and inserted Sovereign Lord. And that's why I call the New International Version the nearly inspired version. 
because there's a lot of issues with it. And that's why there's no perfect translation of the Bible. You should get a Greek and Hebrew concordance. And you should look back in what word was actually used. This English language often fails us. And so when we talk about the sovereignty of God, God is 100% sovereign in the way sovereign is actually used. He is the supreme ruler of the world. But it doesn't mean whatever he wants to happen will automatically happen. And so the question you should be asking right now is, Pastor Jordan, prove it to me. Prove it to me with the word. I'm so glad you asked that question. It's good to ask questions. Prove it to me in the word. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, pray for all people. Pray for kings. Pray for those in authority so you can live a quiet and peaceable life. And he says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's find another verse that backs that up. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here in these two verses, and the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses should everything be established, here these verses say it's God's will or God's desire that everyone be saved. Is everyone saved? Has everyone in history been saved? No. Because there also exists the truth of free will and choice. Where Paul said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's the desire that God has. He wants everyone to be saved. But whoever steps out in faith and responds to that word, they're the ones that are saved. John, 1 John 1, 12, or 1 John 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, as many as received him. Which means that though God desires all to be saved, only the ones that received him become the children of God. Yeah. And that's why we see the words that John uses in 1 John 5 and Jesus used in Mark 11, whoever, because not everyone will. There's those competing beliefs that say, well, wouldn't, if God really wanted me to be healed, I'd just be healed. No, he said, believe. If God wanted me to prosper, I would just be prosperous. No, he said, believe. What else do we see in the Bible? Well, in the Old Testament, we run into a situation where David counts his people. And God specifically said to him, don't count the people. Why? Because up until this point, David's been taking a small amount of people into battle and defeating big armies. And so as David's getting more comfortable in his kingship, he's like, we should find out how many people we actually are working with here. Why? More taxes, more army men. And God said, don't do it. And the Bible tells us that Satan moved David's heart to do it anyways. And so he counted the people, he raised the taxes, and made a bigger army, and guess what started happening? They started losing every battle. Why? God said, don't do it, and David did it anyways. Yeah. 
And so throughout the Bible, we see this. We can look at the battle of Jericho. What did God say to them? He said, uh, this first battle, everything within the city belongs to me. And what did they do? One of the guys decided, eh, God doesn't need it all. I'm going to steal some of the gold and the silver and the spoils. And so if God's desire was for it all, why didn't God get it all? Because men didn't cooperate. And so when we think about the message of sovereignty, God is sovereign. He's a supreme ruler, but he won't make you do anything you don't want to do. He will not make you believe. He will not make you step out in faith. But when you do, he will meet you there. And he said that whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. Or what John said, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have what we've asked of him. And so faith will never work for you unless you choose to work with it ending with this last story Jesus he has a man come to him as a sick kid he's like I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything about it and Jesus said bring him to me and it says how long has he been like this he's like been since a kid the demon seizes him throws him into the fire and he froths around and flops around And the man says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus' response was, well, I I don't desire that, so it just can't be. No, that's not what he said. Or he didn't say, well, I've already told you that I want him to be healed, so that'll just happen when it's time. No, that's not what he said to the man. He said to him, If you can believe or respond in faith, all things are possible to him who responds in faith. So we've been talking about the law of faith, and I've given you a lot of things to consider. I don't know all your backgrounds. I don't know what you've been facing, what you've been going through, but I don't care what you've gone through we continue to present what the Word of God has said. And the Word of God said, you can believe. Now, what are you going to do with it? I'm going to leave you with that question to ponder. What are you going to do about it? And if you're facing a situation and saying, I don't know what the Word of God says about that, you can go to our website, wordchurch.ca, and there's a section called Scriptures. And there's different categories of faith, love, joy, generosity, raising your kids, giving, all these different things. Different, And it's filled with lists of scriptures. And it will take you to what God has said about that subject. And if you don't find your situation in it, come and talk to one of the leaders. Talk to the altar care people. Talk to Pastor Robin and Wendy. Talk to me. We can direct you to what God has said. Because all things are possible to him who believes. And what is faith anchored around? What God has said. Amen? Well, our word care team is going to be up here in a moment, and they would love to pray with you for anything that you have, any needs that you have going on in your life. And Pastor Robin, why don't you bring us in for a landing? Well, glory. Let's practice this faith. 
in our tithes and offerings. And I am, uh, so let's go to the Word and agree with His promise. And I'm in Proverbs chapter 11. Yeah, we're going there. Okay, so this is your response, so let's say this together. There is one who scatters, yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's your response. That is your response. Just like Jesus spoke to the fig tree. So we're, we're, the subject matter now is uh, offering, giving, and so on. And this is God's response. Because God does want you rich. You know, and, he, this, is, and this is the process he uses. You know, I, this, this sort of uh, uh, analogy came to mind when I was thinking about this. If, if little Johnny had ten apples, and he gave, uh, he ate nine, he had one, which would be the, a tenth, which he sowed, would he get, you know, usually an apple has five to eight seeds in it. He would not get five to eight apples. He would get five to eight trees that produce apples. You see how this works? Now, this, this, is, this is quite a stretch for us because we're in a, a world's economic uh, economy where a lot of this doesn't make sense, especially giving, more, giving away gets you more, where if you're holding, it makes you poorer, right? That's, that just doesn't seem to be the way. With the, the world doesn't think that way. They think that way. You know, we, we, I, if, I, if I give what I've got, you know, then I won't have anything. That's not what God says. God says if you give of what, of what you have, which he blesses you with anyway, amen, you, you will get more. Amen? Amen. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Well, <laughs> you know, this is the greatest March 26, 2023 you'll ever have. As it was mentioned earlier, you know, you only get to live this one once. You know what? Let's make it the best because God's going to make it the best for you. Amen? You are blessed.